Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everybody. Today, um, I'm interviewing somebody who I'm super excited to talk to. Um, Her name is Livia Sarah, and uh, she does a lot of things. She's an autism and eating disorder recovery coach. She is an author, and she is the host of Live Live Label Free which is a podcast about autism and eating disorder recovery. And this is a topic that I have a lot of personal connection to. So I'm really, really excited to dig in. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Melissa. I'm so excited and honored to be here and to talk to you. Yeah, um, I think I just want to start off by hearing a little bit about your personal story, what you went through personally with your eating disorder and kind of how you got into doing what you're doing now. Yeah, so I'm going to give kind of a disclaimer slash warning in the sense that sometimes when I start talking, I will not stop. So if there's like something that I say and you're like, oh, I want to hear more about that feel free to interrupt me and be like, let's go down this avenue (laughs) because otherwise I'll be talking for like two hours. Um, So (laughs) yeah, because I mean, I I wrote an entire book about my story with with autism as an autistic person who struggled with an eating disorder. So anyways, I, you know, kind of like to start off at the very beginning always. Um, I was kind of you kind of telling you before how I was born in the Netherlands. Um, Both my parents are Dutch. Um, but when I was a baby, when I was six months old, we moved to Boston, um, and I lived there until I was 15, um, and I mean, I love Boston, I loved the school there, I loved the people there, I loved the vibe there, um, but I think as, you know, any autistic person, um, can attest to, you know, there was always something in me that was like, there's something about me that is very different than everyone else and I don't know what it is um so yeah I I really masked a lot growing up obviously didn't know it was masking it was almost this like automatic just adaptation to the environment of oh other girls are doing that I need to do that too or at least I need to pretend to like that even though I didn't um but I think there was this really inherent you know fear of being the weirdo, being left out, you know, being judged, um, as I was also very perfectionistic and huge people pleaser, wanted everyone to like me, always trying to be a teacher's pet kind of thing, um, and, and over time, you know, I just, masking is not sustainable, and it's so, so draining on every, in every way possible, that I think it's really for that reason that a lot of autistic people, especially undiagnosed women, um, you know, they 
they reach out to external coping mechanisms, whether that be eating disorder, whether that be, you know, depression, anxiety, OCD. Um, that's why, you know, mental health issues are so common among autistic people is because inherently we're trying to find safety in something external because we can't find it within our direct environment. Um, so anyways, kind of that being said, when I was 11 years old, and I was in fifth grade, um, wonderful school, but we started learning about health and nutrition and, you know, the regular curriculum, um, learning about BMI, learning about, quote unquote, healthy and unhealthy food, quote unquote, obesity, you know, that you need to exercise this amount of time per day. And my literal autistic mind just latched onto that and was like, wow, this sounds like the most convenient solution to, you know, me having a purpose in life and knowing that if I just become this perfect healthy eater, like I, I won't be wrong. Like I'll I'll be amazing kind of thing. Um and I, I felt like I'd found my calling in, in this some sort of way. Um and that, you know, really quickly just led me to become hyper obsessed with quote unquote healthy eating. I became obsessed with running. I was always exercising um and I lost a few pounds and I remember going to the doctor and them being like okay well Olivia you, you're not gaining weight and you're a growing child like you need to drink whole milk and I was like you don't know what you're talking about like at school we learn we need to drink skim milk <laughs> like I was like these doctors have no clue what they're talking about um and I just you know couldn't gain weight obviously because I was on this diet and I was exercising all the time that you know after four or five follow-up visits in the span of a few months I was diagnosed with with anorexia and depression um and the depression I almost think that isn't even a separate diagnosis because like when you are engaging in disordered eating behaviors you're isolated you're sad you don't have any mood or, or desire to do anything because that is not a life so yeah I was diagnosed with anorexia and depression at age 11 and then kind of from there, I was just tossed in and out of treatment for almost seven years. Um, every time going, being the perfect patient, you know, pretending to do everything right. Um, I remember all these therapies, DBT, CBT, FBT, all, anything that ends with a T. And <laughs> I was so like, this is, excuse my language, but I was like, this is such bullshit. Like this, it didn't feel like something that someone could just talk me out of because it isn't um so I remember you know like holding the dbt book in front of me and then having my sudoku or novel hidden and I would just be pretending to engage in therapy um but then obviously not because when they would ask me questions I'd be like what um so yeah I was every time I was tossed out of treatment um labeled like non-compliant manipulative like um treatment resistant all the things um and it was kind of, treatment kind of became a game for me at some point. Like, I started manipulating the system through, you know, hiding food and water loading. And I think that was really what I now just see as, like, demand avoidance or just, like, my autonomy being taken away from me. I I think my strong, stubborn, autistic will was, like, no one can tell me what to do, and I'm going to prove that to you. Um, But, I mean, yeah, after so many failed treatments um in 2015 when I was 15 years old I remember being told um yeah you know you we've done everything we could and you're not getting better you're just getting worse 
So you're just going to have to accept the fact that you're never going to get better. Um, And obviously for me, super fragile, super vulnerable, just really taking other people's comments. Like it, it stabbed me basically in the heart. Um, And from there, my life went really downhill. Um, Started having panic attacks every single day. My entire life, I was just, I was just in a state of survival mode, you know, weighing my food, counting my calories, running, everything was so structured. If, you know, they didn't have the one brand of yogurt that I needed at that time, I would have a meltdown. Um, And I remember the real turning point came for me in 2017 when I was having a panic attack and I saw my two sisters sitting in the corner, just trembling of absolute in absolute terror. I had just smashed my mom's teapot that she had spent like 10 hours painting at a pottery store before. And and I saw in that moment that this illness or this mindset or whatever it was, I mean, I really don't like the term eating disorder very much because I see it as an adaptation to a lack of safety, like any any of these mental issues. Um, mm. I realized, you know, this isn't just about me anymore. Like, this is affecting the people I love. Um, that's what inspired me to, you know, commit to recovery and all that would entail. Like, I'm honestly not going to dive into that now because that's like a whole nother rabbit hole. Um, but fast forward to 2020, I started, you know, my own online coaching business. I started helping other people um, after I had recovered from my eating disorder. Um, and it was actually my very first client who was autistic. And that just changed my entire life. Because <laughs> um, not only could I help her, and but it like she helped me because I discovered this almost reason or like for the eating disorder and for my entire life history that I could I had never been able to place before um and kind of from that moment onward I started really um understanding and niching down on this link of autism and eating disorders and just every day discovering more and more how incredibly prevalent this is how incredibly important it is that we and professionals and anyone working in the field that parents understand to, you know, provide safety and provide love and provide the proper support for um, autistic people to unmask in a way that feels safe, in a way that they don't, they no longer need the eating disorder to, you know, feign that sense of safety. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I do now is, you know, helping other people, um, helping individuals, but also helping parents, you know, navigate the complex intertanglements of autism and eating disorders and yeah. really helping them to you know live a life in which they are free in every sense of the word um so yeah that's kind of live label free in a nutshell <laughs> yeah wow gosh so your pretty much your entire adolescence was consumed by this which is incredible like you were 11 when yeah. you first got diagnosed with yeah. an eating disorder and it's interesting that you don't um prefer that term I'd like to talk about that a little bit but we'll we'll shelve that for a second because I want to um know when you first started to suspect you were autistic or did someone else 
bring this information to you and point it out to you? Or was it by working with other people who are autistic? Like, how did that all come about? Yeah, so as I mentioned, um, my very first coaching client, I remember asking her, you know, why did you reach out to me? I was so nervous because it was like my first client. I had just launched my coaching business. I had no certifications or any of this stuff. I was like, because I knew in my heart, like lived experience is the most powerful qualification there is and I like truly stand by that today still every more each day um and I remember you know she was explaining to me because I had my blog already at the time livelabelfree.com and I was just doing a lot of writing um and she was like yeah I really resonated with the story on your blog about you know being labeled as too complex and treatment resistant and all these labels that minimize and invalidate you and and then she she went on to say you know um, and I'm also autistic and, you know, all of the health professionals, they, they just don't understand that link. Um, and they tell me that like, I have to learn to cope with my autism before I can recover from my eating disorder. And then, um, if you would go to like an eating disorder, um, an, like an autism place, um, or whatever, like obviously trying to fix it or cure it or whatever, then they would say, well, the eating disorder is like standing in the way of you thinking clearly, so we don't even know if you're autistic. It was just this whole mess. And um, and then I was like, okay, why don't we just like start off like laying the foundation? Like, who are you as a person? Like, can you just show like who you are, what you like to do? What are your personality traits? And it was like I was hearing me <laughs> like she was like mm -hmm. I like structure and routine and I don't like change and you know um as a kid I would line up all my dolls and never play with them and and just every autistic trait she was just explaining it and I was like like what like this is autism like I because mm -hmm. I thought autism like non-verbal boy who can solve Rubik's cubes and can count the toothpicks like in Rain Man you know like that's what I thought autism was like most people do because it isn't taught in school you know we don't we don't receive education on that um so me being like the very independent self-taught researcher I am I was like okay this whole autism thing there's something here so I read the book Asperger's by Rudy Simone and I have never read a book that fast in my entire life and it was really in that at that moment that I knew like this is me and and like it just described my entire eating disorder as well and it also allowed me to understand and comprehend that a lot of these quote-unquote eating disorder behaviors weren't actually related to the eating disorder at all they were just my autistic preferences um and at that point in my life you know where I was stuck in in the illness and was underweight and all these things um it was because almost these traits had like turned against me in a way like mm -hmm. to my own destruction and I think by understanding like oh this is me and this is my personality it allowed me to work with them in a way that I could move forward instead of basically destroying myself yeah oh okay so let me talk a, a little bit about my experience here because I feel like there are a lot of questions that I have for you that are kind of related to things that I've been through. And it seems like you've been through similar things. So um, I guess for me, 
I've always had sort of like weird, quote unquote, weird behaviors um, around food. Mm-hmm. My, you know, like ever since I can remember when I was a kid, I would do weird things like, you know, just for as an example. Um, and I never even realized I did this one until my mom pointed it out to me one time that I used to always leave one bite, at least one bite of food on my plate mm. for years and years and years. And it's like, I could not eat that last bite of food. I don't know what it meant to me, what it symbolized. It was just like, I couldn't do it. And my mom was always like, or my mom was one day like, why do you always leave one bite of food? And I was like, I guess I do do that. Don't I like all the time. And so just strange things like that are having very specific rules around food, what I should or should not eat at certain times or um, even having perceptions about how different foods like might make me feel. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it got worse because I started having some like digestive problems too, which I know is also a lot of autistic people do have um, yeah. digestive issues. And finally, in my early 20s, I was diagnosed with um, irritable bowel syndrome. Um, so there's there's that portion of my life. But then I never really had like any what I would consider disordered eating or eating disorder mm-hmm. type behaviors until the very recent past when I got into like fitness and nutrition probably like seven or eight years ago I started really like okay so I got into CrossFit and then I started Mm -hmm. getting into like um like fitness nutrition I want to call it you know like as a broad term it's like where you're you're interested in like counting your macros and so how many grams of protein yeah. how many grams of carbs how many grams of fats should I be eating and you have the my fitness pal app and you're measuring and weighing and counting all of your food because I had these so this was all under the guise of like me having these certain goals fitness right. goals right? right and bought and aesthetic goals too I'm like oh well, I want to build muscle and I want to do this and I want to lift this yeah. much weight and um I didn't know I was autistic at the time, but it very much became a special interest at like an obsessive level where it was like, if I missed a workout, I would get extremely anxious. If I ate the wrong way or the wrong things one day or messed up my, my counts or whatever, I would just feel like I ruined everything. Like at the end of the day, I'd be so disappointed in myself. I'm like, I've been working so hard and I just messed it all up. And it's like, looking back, I'm like, God, I, it's so strange how you can be living that way and not realize at the time how disordered it is. Cause it all felt yeah. so normal to me and I didn't even see it as unhealthy. I was actually like feeling so superior like, oh, yes. I'm so healthy. Oh, all of these other people just don't have as much control or as much discipline as I do. Yeah. And it was just all of it was so, so, so unhealthy. And I think I started to realize um, when 
you know, I think it was a slow realization. So I don't think there was one single moment where it dawned on me where I was like, this is not good. But it was just sort of like slowly realizing that my life had been taken over when I'm like, I can't even like enjoy like ice cream with my kids or like, you know, I, I, there are a lot of things that I'm missing out on because like, I'm too afraid to like go off my plan or whatever. And it just started feeling, I started feeling the restriction of it all. I guess it started kind of like coming into my consciousness and I was like, Oh, and I started really taking some, some steps to try and back out of it. Um, but it's still hard to this day. And I mm-hmm. think one of the hardest things is, and now that I know that I'm autistic too, I can see where all a lot of this ties in together. Yeah. Like now yeah. I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense. But even now me trying to sort out, and you have a post on your Instagram that I was really interested in where it's like, um, I forget exactly the verbiage, but it's like, these things that may look like disordered eating behaviors, but are actually autistic behaviors. And I think, yeah, 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 I know it's the five ED behaviors that are actually autistic traits. I have two podcast episodes with like the same title, like three ED behaviors and then three more. And those are like the two most downloaded episodes. (laughs) Yeah, because now, so being in my own sort of some semblance of like what I consider recovery from my my wild few years of being just like so engrossed in in all of that fitness and nutrition stuff um trying to sort of like figure out how to be how to pay attention to my nutrition in a healthy way how to move my body in a healthy way without it being obsessive or restrictive but it's hard when you have an autistic brain that sort of just works that way. And I'm like, okay, so am I like, I am a very active person and I do enjoy exercise and I do like moving my body, but then I have to be really careful to not cross the line over into obsession, you know, and I have to really be self-aware of why I'm doing certain things and how I'm doing certain things. And it's a lot of work. It is, yeah, because, I mean, especially because our brain has, like, enough thoughts <laughs> on repeat yeah. all the freaking time. But, I mean, everything you just said, I'm just nodding my head, like, yes, 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 yes. Um, Because so much, definitely my experience, and just almost all the, um, all the people I work with, you know, some layer of experience is, is within that. Um, And you mentioned, you know, how the obsession with healthy eating and CrossFit and, you know, weighing it became like this special interest I that in and of itself I also have a post on Instagram um that's literally titled like my eating disorder was my special interest and Mm -hmm. the amount of like resonance there was with that too um it's it's almost like this I almost like to describe it as like the solution to like an existential crisis right because because when we are like thinking because I think a lot of autistic people naturally ask like what are what is our purpose what are we doing here I remember asking my mom for the first time when I was three like why do we live if we're gonna die anyways <laughs> What? um and I think in a way there's this existential angst of you know following the wrong path doing the wrong thing like not being the right person um mm-hmm. 
And in a sense, you know, because we as human beings are not tangible, like our our existence just goes to this infinite depth that can't be described in words, I think because that's so almost daunting to have to deal with mentally, um, we turn to these things like calories and macros and just all of all of what you mentioned, you know, and what people with an eating disorder deal with and struggle with, they're all external things. Calories, macros, weight, the way you look, the way other people judge you and think of you, it's all external, trying to find meaning externally. And that's where we get lost because meaning cannot be found outside of us. Um, and And yeah, and then also with, you know, how do you navigate, you know, exercising and moving and eating in a healthy way without it getting too extreme um I think for us autistics and this is kind of advice that I've almost like learned about myself that has worked and and that's why I'm like wow it's like actually so contradictory to you know what treatment eating disorder professionals and stuff say is that you know I believe that food rules and exercise rules can be helpful when we create them like in our own autonomic desired way so like for example because of my relationship with exercise it was very much you know if I do 20 push-ups today then I have to do at least 20 tomorrow well I can do 25 now but okay well then the next day I have to do more than 25 because like others I'm a failure kind of thing and it just kept on getting more and more to the point where I was exercising for so many hours a day but I was so afraid of going back because change obviously um and for me now you know even still today I have what I believe for myself you know a healthy relationship with exercise but even for me like when I go to the gym I have like I can only be here for maximum this much time because Mm -hmm. if I don't set those boundaries my brain goes well then what do I do and I just get so overwhelmed um same with food you know um I I struggle with interoceptive awareness like many autistic people do. Um, I don't always feel hunger and fullness in the way that my mom does or my sisters do or whatever. Um, so even around food and mealtimes, you know, I have, I like to call them freedom routines because um, I have like routines, but there's built-in flexibility and built-in freedom. So for example, you know, if I wake up in the morning and I'm not hungry, um, in the past, you know, when I was trying to do the whole neurotypical approach to intuitive eating, it would have been like, oh, I'm not hungry. So then I don't have to eat. But then that would lead to, well, then like, when do I eat? I'm just getting so overwhelmed by that thought yeah. that now it's like, okay, no matter if you're hungry or not, like you have to eat within an hour of waking up because that's what, you know, keeps you structured. That's what keeps you nourished. That's what allows you to think clearly. Um, so having, you know, like I, I eat breakfast, I eat lunch, I eat my snacks, I eat dinner. Um, and within that, like I have a lot more flexibility within the times and, you know, the amounts dependent on how I feel or what I want or the situation. Um, but I I could never and I will never and I don't want to ever, you know, be that person that's like, oh, I'm just going to like go the whole day without eating and forget to eat lunch because I wasn't hungry because that would totally, especially with my history and restriction being trauma to the body, that would totally dysregulate my nervous system, which yeah. in and of itself contributes to digestive issues as well. Um, yeah. Because when we're constantly in fight or flight mode, 
the body's not going to digest food. Like, that would be such a waste of energy. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that's inherently why so many autistic people struggle with digestion. Because I often describe being autistic as living in a constant state of fight or flight mode. Like, when people say, like, oh, I'm just relaxing at the beach. I'm like, how do you do that? Like, I can't, <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I hope that kind of helps and gives you some inspiration. Yeah, definitely. Um I've actually never really thought about the the link between like trying to do the whole intuitive eating thing and being autistic because intuitive eating has become like one of those one of those yeah. like hot button terms that everyone sort of like is grasping onto right now and is like, oh, you know, you just have to eat intuitively. But yeah. for those of us that like for one, like you said, a lot of us have that interoception issue where we can't really tell if we're hungry or full. Like for me, I didn't even realize I had that until I realized that I was autistic and I started learning about it. And I was like, yeah, me too. Oh my gosh, wait a minute. Like, because hunger and fullness feel very similar to me in my body. Yeah. So sometimes I would eat and in my brain, like I would logically know that I just ate. Yeah. But my stomach would feel hungry like 15 or 20 minutes later. And I'm like, there's no way I can be hungry again. I just ate. And so I wouldn't eat more. Um, But to me, it's like having to sort of like sit and think about when was the last time I ate? Is it logical that I would be hungry right now yeah. is like a very big thing that I have to do. And I, so I do often like schedule my meals, especially when I'm at work. Um, I have a very structured routine on my work days. I work as a nurse. I work 12 hour shifts wow. and off. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Often it's very busy. Um, sorry. I can't, if you, <laughs> yeah, I hear sorry, a dog. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I cannot record a single podcast episode that doesn't have my dogs barking in the background. <laughs> Everyone who <laughs> listens all the time knows this. Um, so at home and at work, but I, I noticed because I just started this job um, like six or seven months ago. Um, I noticed that I very quickly developed a routine at work. Um, as far as like when I take my breaks, because I get a 15 minute break in the mid morning, and then I get a lunch break, and then I get a 15 minute break in like the afternoon, evening time. And I schedule those. And I have like very specific things that I eat during those times. And like, I just I have such a structure and routine around it. Because if I don't, yeah, then I may not eat. Right. And then when I get home, I'll be like, Oh, my gosh, like I didn't eat and then it's late and then I might yeah. eat a lot. It's just yeah. like, it is so important. That's another like way that sort of you can get where it's like, you're trapped between, between like, is this autism? Is this disordered eating? Because it's like, you do need kind of structure and rules around yeah. food but then it's like, yeah. okay, you can't let it get out of hand to where it's becomes disordered. So it's so, right. it's like a hard line to walk, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It's definitely a complex interplay. And I think, you know, the being able to distinguish whether it's the autism or the eating disorder, I think it comes down to one word and that word being intention. Um, I believe that autistic traits um, come from a place of love, of a place of compassion and understanding for our bodies and the way we function. Um, so in this case, you know, setting structure, setting times, um, saying I'm going to do that at that time, that's coming from a place of love because you're like, that's going to, that's what's going to regulate me. That's what's going to help me feel safe. Whereas I think the disordered eating behaviors, they always come from a place of fear. You know, something's bad going to, something bad is going to happen if I miss this workout. You know, I'm going to freak out if I don't, perfectly weigh this ice cream to be 200 grams you know um it's all coming from a place of fear um so that's something that I work on so much you know with with my clients is really like okay is this behavior routine coming from a place of love or from a place of fear um and you know if it is coming from a place of fear it's you know one of my favorite acronyms is um fear being false evidence appearing real that so often we tell ourselves that we have evidence of this outcome, that this one thing is going to happen. Um, but then breaking it down to, you know, really, like, what is the worst thing that could happen? Um, how likely is that thing to happen? And then how can we bring love and safety into this? Because when we when we emanate loving energy, when we feel safe, that cannot coexist with fear. Those two things just can't go together. Um, so, yeah, I love kind of how you shared that that story of, you know, planning your breaks and having that routine because it, it was it's clearly an adaptation for your unique body of this is what helps me feel safe and feel comfortable at this job is if I know that I'm going to eat these things at these times it it will allow you to function so I think that's coming from a place of love yeah yeah I love that I think that's a really good distinction I'm definitely going to implement that type of thinking because that is a good point it's like where is this coming from what's the intention behind this thought that's a really great way to look at it um I don't think that we can talk about food without talking about sensory issues too um that come up around food for a lot of us I don't particularly have a lot of um food aversion type things when it comes to like texture I have a few but like I know a lot of autistic people and ADHD people alike have you know really strong um, aversions to certain textures and things like that mine is more like um I I am a sensory seeker more so than a sensory avoider (laughs) so I really there are certain foods that I get like a very big sensory hit from just like texture wise or like spice I know you you also posted a little bit about like over spicing your food and my parents have always made fun of me because of how much pepper I put on my food like black pepper I will just me too I'm like there's a pile of pepper and they're just like what are you doing and I'm like I don't know I just like pepper (laughs) yeah so but my son um who is 26 years old he he is autistic as well and ADHD and he has a lot of, of food aversions. Um, so that's, I've seen that side of things too and witnessed how hard that is, um, both from the perspective of a, of a mother of a young person. And now he's an adult and he still deals with a lot of these things. Um, so it's a really big thing for us. Yeah, definitely. 
Definitely, yeah. And, and I'm a huge sensory seeker too. I don't, I don't have a lot of aversions either. I mean, I when I was younger, I was like the classic picky eater. I remember dinner was like mac and cheese with chicken nuggets and broccoli until my eating disorder started, and I was like, time for a diet, time for healthy eating, like buy all the white carbs kind of thing. Um, and and now you know, I pretty much eat everything except I, I like simple. You know, like these Hello Fresh meals where it's like pants here this with these spices and falafel blah 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 i'm like okay that just like reading that is overwhelming like i can't eat that <laughs> like yeah when some when like a dish like that is like has all these different components and flavors like if that is overwhelming to my brain like i will not be able to eat that thing um so like a lot of my food you know is really simple but what i do find a lot of the time when i'm making food is i i don't know when or like how this happened but like when I'm making food, I have a really hard time, like, plating the food and then going to sit at the table and then sitting down and eating it. Like, I usually just kind of eat while I'm making the food. And what often happens, so say I'm, like, making yogurt, I'll be, like, putting the yogurt in a bowl. It always needs a crunch factor. Like, I cannot mm. just eat yogurt. Like, it needs granola or nuts or, or something. Um, Same. I'll be putting that on. So I'll be opening the cabinet, putting the granola, and then I'll see something else. Like, oh, there's honey. Okay, honey well, I like honey with bananas. Do I have bananas? Um. Oh, I, I grab a banana, but I'm like cutting the banana. I'm like, while I'm cutting the banana, I'm thinking about like, what else could I add to this? And like, what ultimately happens is just this like concoction of a meal with like 20 different ingredients, <laughs> even though if I would have like planned that in my head mentally, no way I would have done that because I would have been overwhelmed. <laughs> so right. yeah. it is really like a complex dance sometimes of like figuring out where it's coming from. But I think, you know, that word sensory seeking pretty much just summarizes why I do that. Because I like every time I add a thing, I'm like, okay, new dopamine, new dopamine, like what else can I add to this? Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, totally. And I think that's where cooking and meal preparation can become overwhelming for a yes. lot of us because it can be very daunting to try and figure out how to put things together and yeah. You know, also from, from my perspective, being a parent, having a family, having a partner, and I'm the one who does, I do like to do most of the meal preparation just because uh -huh. there's a number of reasons behind that, but, um, that <laughs> uh, I won't necessarily go into, but, um, for me, the way that I've worked around that. And luckily my entire family is neurodivergent and all, they all kind of like routine and structure too. Yeah. And so we eat a lot of the same foods. Mm -hmm. We have probably like 10 different meals that we just cycle through. And yeah. there's one night of the week. That's always pizza night. We'll make our own pizza, but it's always the same toppings, always the same like structure of like, Oh, um, my partner Gray like rolls out the dough and I cut the, you know, the mushrooms and like, we just have this whole routine that we do for our pizza nights. And I know exactly what to buy. When I go to the store, I, you know, sometimes I don't even need a list because I'm like, well, this week we're going to have like these five meals that I've cooked a million times. Right. And like you said, they're simple. It's like, it's like spaghetti. All I need for that is noodles and sauce. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I could never do like those meal services. They're like, we make cooking easy. I'm like, no, you don't. 
Like, no. it makes it so complex. I'm like, why did you just deliver 20 different ingredients like I'm actually going to do anything with this? Yeah, I mean, I never go to the store with a list. And I think, you know, it helps that here in the Netherlands, this country is so small. Like, everything is so close. Like, my nearest grocery store is a five-minute walk. So, like, if I need, like, just now before this podcast episode, I ran out of milk and I had, like, 30 minutes. So, I was like, okay, I'm just going to go get milk. And I literally just went for milk. <laughs> so, I like, know yeah. I have milk tomorrow kind of thing. Um, But, but yeah, I mean, lists also, I think demand avoidance definitely plays into it, too. Because as soon as I make a list and I, like, buy what I plan and I have it in the house, like, I will never want to eat that. I'm like, well, I want to eat what I don't have at home. Like, I want to go out and buy something just because of that, like, dopamine. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like never yes. being satisfied. Um, So, you know, I've learned for myself, too, that this whole meal prep thing of, like, it's Sunday, like, meal prep with me, like, all these videos. I'm like, I'm not going to, like, portion out all my carrot sticks and this and that because, like, I'm not going to want it the next day because I planned it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's what makes meal planning hard where you're like, well, I don't feel like eating this now. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. So I like that your Instagram and your podcast is called live label free. I really, so, okay. I have talked about on my podcast about how I'm very much a label person yeah but I think the the specification I need to make there is like as long as the label is helpful to you so for me like a lot of people are like why did you need a diagnosis why do you need that label like you know who you are you're so much older and all this I'm like no the label helps like the autistic and ADHD labels both help me Mm -hmm. a lot because yeah I can categorize myself that way, right? Yes. I can be like, this is what this is and this is what these things belong to this category and this label, you know, but there are, of course, you know, as anything, there's good and bad sides to labels and there are some some negative labels that you spoke about earlier, like them saying, you know, your what whatever they said, you're difficult yeah, to like treat, treatment resistant, non-compliant, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And those types of labels can be super, super harmful. But I think, yeah, I think the distinction there, it's sort of like you said earlier, when you think about um, like your certain routines and rules, it's like, what's the intention behind this? I think it's the same with labels. Like what's the intention behind this label? What's it doing for me? Is it helpful or is it harmful? So I think that's kind of an important thing to touch on because I, I think it's important for people to know that, that labels can be okay, but you've got to be careful. Yes. I love, I love, love, love that you brought this up. And that's why I'm like chewing you on, like, as you said, (laughs) because I literally have a sentence in my book, Rainbow Girl, that's but Livia, isn't autism a label? And then I kind of go into this whole intention thing of like, yeah, it's a label, but like, so is everything. Like, this is a microphone. We are on a podcast. This is a computer. Like, everything has a label because labels help us function. Like, if we did not have language, which in and of itself is a form of labeling, we wouldn't be able to communicate. Um, And, you know, this, never mind, actually, I'm not going to go into like mutism and non people. <laughs> Um, But, you know, like, 
um it's all about again the intention and like does this label help me function better or is it like acting as a barrier to me functioning better and that's kind of why I don't really like this word disorder very much because I think that when we pathologize like a way of being it it almost makes us like a victim to that way of being so if someone says like I am a disordered eater you know I am an addict they're almost saying, you know, this is me, this is my identity, therefore, you know, I can't do anything about it. And I think that especially is the danger with like disordered eating is, you know, I'm suffering from an illness, I'm a victim to this illness. Well, by nature, victims do not do anything. So, and no one can save you from your eating disorder, like you have to change, you have to take responsibility, and kind of how like love and fear cannot coexist responsibility and victimhood cannot coexist either um so that's why I like to see like a quote-unquote eating disorder or like behaviors more like an adaptation and then really asking yourself like are these behaviors behaviors that I want to engage in like are these behaviors behaviors that help me function or not and like if they do great like let's keep on going but if they don't then it's asking yourself okay, well, what do I want to replace these behaviors with? And then going on that path, um, which leads me on to another thing that I wanted to mention. And that is that I don't like the word recovery. And instead, I prefer the word discovery. Because I again, I think when I when I when someone says, you know, I'm in eating disorder recovery, they're almost taking on this identity of someone in recovery. But the point of recovery is not to have a recovery identity the point of recovery is to be free and we can only be free when we say I'm going to discover who I am without any like restrictions or limitations or that kind of thing um and I think that's why you know I call my business and everything live label free is is because I think inherently our existence who we are at our core can never be you know summarized with labels like even autism or adhd of course i use them because they help me understand myself and they help me function but i am not like at my core i am not just autism and adhd like you are not just autism and adhd you're not just a mom you know you're not just melissa you are you and like no amount of words can ever like even scratch the surface of who how deep and how like beautiful your being is I feel like like again I'm struggling with my words because there really are none (laughs) yeah I don't feel like you're struggling with your words I feel like you are you're just so smart and so insightful and so self-aware and I don't know how old you are but I feel like you're in your 20s yeah I'm 24 yeah 24 (laughs) so I'm just like sometimes when I talk to people who are in their their 20s particularly their early 20s and they're so like you just have so much stuff figured out and it just I'm in awe of that because I was not like that in my 20s um also it was a different time back then I'm talking like I'm 90 years old but it's like it was it was you know I was yeah I believe that 20 years ago and um there wasn't a whole lot of self-awareness going on in the world at that time. You know, we didn't have a lot of open discussions about these types of things. And I so wish we did because I feel like I would have been able to um, get to where I'm at a lot quicker. It's taken me so much time. You know, I've talked about this before, I think on the podcast where people have said like, 
you can't, there's no way you're autistic. You're so self-aware. And I'm like, you don't know what I had to do to get this self, this self-awareness. Like it's taken me years. Um, cause I was not like this 20 years ago. Like I was so lost, so discombobulated. I didn't know up from down, like left from right. So when I talk to younger people who are like around your age, you know, and I'm just like, wow, the insight, like the self-awareness, it's just like, it really gives me hope for the future of the world. And I know a lot of older people are like, no, the kids today. And I'm like, no, like people who like the younger generation is like, you guys are killing it. It's just like, it's so different than it used to be. And it just, it makes me so happy. So anyway, you're great. You're doing awesome. Thank you. I, I love everything you're saying. All of your words are great. Um, so speaking of your words, let's talk about your books. You have you have two books, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm currently working on my third, fourth, and fifth. Um, but those are oh. yeah, those are for next year. <laughs> um, but right oh, now wow. I have I have two published books. Um, I have a cookbook um called Nourishing Neurodiversity, and then my memoir Rainbow Girl, which is really a deep dive into you know everything we talked about today. Um, which is like my baby, honestly. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because. Yeah, it was it it's really the book I think I wish I had, you know, when I discovered I'm autistic and how to like navigate this while in recovery from an eating disorder. Um, because it it also just really um unpacks and I guess pulls back the curtain on, you know, how traditional eating disorder treatment is so incredibly harmful to autistic people because it's so not accommodating and it's so gaslighting. Um and and yeah, you know, also I, I really dive into the whole live label free philosophy and the intention and that sentence, you know, but isn't autism a label? Um so yeah, everyone, if you're interested in reading my books, um, I actually now have a books website, um, livelabelfreebooks.com. And then my like normal website is just livelabelfree.com. Um, but it's also available on, on Amazon and wherever else books are sold. Cool. Yeah, I know you said that you um you have the page now like the the book page your own book selling page because of like shipping issues internationally and stuff and people having to pay so much money for shipping and you try and make it affordable for people on your website so that's probably the best place to go right is your actual book website yeah and also because amazon is just capitalism as its finest oh Um, it is Yes, and not that I don't buy stuff off of Amazon oh, me all too. the damn time, but yeah, it is. You're yeah. right. Um, so yeah, I will link to all of your info in the show notes, your website, your book site, um, your podcast. Which okay, I'm horrible at prepping for podcast interviews. I haven't listened to your podcast yet. I haven't read your books yet. That's <laughs> um, fine. Do you like I audiobooks was... or like reading physical books better? I like reading physical books better. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm definitely, oh, I'm old school that way. I'm like, give me the paper. I book. love that. I love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Is it, are your books or at least your one book available on as audiobook version as well? Yeah. Rainbow Gold just came out. The audiobook just came out two days ago. Um, oh, cool. So, yeah. I just launched that, which was so exciting because that was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do it's like over eight hours of me reading audio and there was not one day 
like honestly it was not one day throughout the entire process that I felt like doing it but it was just like this thing that I committed to and there are a lot of autistic people that you know don't like reading they like only can listen to audio so I was like Mm -hmm. this needs to be audio and then especially because I have a podcast I was like I have to be the narrator it would be weird if someone else did this yes Um, yeah yeah but I'm super proud of it yeah yeah that would be a laborious undertaking of just sitting and reading your own book and having to make it like the pressure to like make it sound good you know and like do the right you know yeah that I don't envy you having to do that that sounds like quite a process but I I guess it's (laughs) self-imposed right (laughs) I chose this life (laughs) you did I'm I'm so glad you did I'm sure you're helping a lot of people um can we talk a little bit about Nourishing Neurodiversity? That's a cookbook, yeah? Yeah, and all the recipes, as we kind of touched on before, super simple. Like, everything is, like, 10 ingredients or less. I have, like, a few recipes in there that are only, like, two or three ingredients. Um, yeah. Because, and those are, like, kind of the staples that I eat and make in my life and have for, like, probably the past five-plus years. Um, And that was really out of my own again like wanting to be able to follow a cookbook without being like why are there 20 ingredients here I can't deal with this kind of thing um and a lot of it is also just for like inspiration especially when you know you are in that kind of like analysis paralysis kind of state of like oh my gosh like I don't know what to make and I know I need to eat right now but I don't know what and then you know just being able to flip open and be like oh I have beans I have pasta I have sauce I can make this right now in like 30 minutes um so again like everything that I write and I create it's I guess the the answers that I wish I had when I was struggling um and I think that's you know the beauty of being in this like creative life and why I did choose this life um is because it allows me to contribute in the way that I mean, I feel like I'm trying to like find my words right now. Um, but I feel like, you know, the purpose of life, I'm kind of going on a different path. Like the purpose of life is to contribute beyond yourself and like help others. Um, and that's kind of how I feel when I am creating and and sharing my books and sharing this content is I'm helping other people to live lives of meaning um, in the same way that I'm like, giving meaning back to myself I don't know if that makes any sense (laughs) yeah no that makes perfect sense I love that and I think what you said at the beginning when we first started talking about experience being the best education like the lived experience because as we all know as neurodivergent people who have probably been to see different doctors different psychologists in search of answers in search of um you know something we didn't even know what and talking to people who have so much education, but no lived experience. And it's like, it's so unhelpful. And the most helpful people that I've had come into my life have been people who have experienced the same things I've experienced and who can see things from my point of view and who can relate. And we can really like talk about things on a different level, you know? So it is... It is really cool that you're taking all of that experience that you've had and like using it to give back to other people because we all do have very similar experiences, even though 
um, autism is a spectrum and we're all so different in so many ways, just there are so many common threads, you know, and that's why we're all autistic because it's the same, but it's different. It's so like, it's funny. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I love that emphasis on the lived experience, which thankfully I think a lot of people I have seen, you know, healthcare providers, especially, you know, with private practices, they are so much more open to, you know, learning from individuals. Um, And I'm so grateful for that. And we also have a long way to go, especially in like the established medical realm. Um, And that is why I also emphasize in my book, Rainbow Girl, that the woman who told me, you know, you, you're never going to get better when we when I first meet her meet her in the book because it's the book is written like as a novel like it's very suspenseful in a way a lot of dialogue uh-huh. um I like emphasize like when we met this woman how she had a neat row of diplomas behind her desk <laughs> to like emphasize she had all these certifications yet she told a 15 year old girl you're probably gonna die or never gonna get better I'm like okay well those certifications do not mean anything then <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. You're yeah. Ugh. That's insane to me that someone would say that to anyone, but especially a teenager yeah. in the middle of something like similar to what you were going through. And that's, that's crazy. And it's like, yeah, if you're so educated, like, shouldn't you be able to figure out how to help me? Right. Right. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, gosh. Well, your book sounds amazing. Um, I'm definitely going to get it and read it Yay. and, uh, and start listening to your podcast. Um, I feel like I'm going to be really obsessed with your podcast because this topic, like I said, is just something I'm so interested in and it is still kind of a special interest to me, but I think in a more healthy way now, and I still love fitness. I still love nutrition and it still is a struggle all the time. Every single day I struggle with like, why am I doing this? What is, you know, what is the intention? What, you know, and talking myself out of certain behaviors sometimes where I'm like, no, or talking myself out of working out. If I need a rest day, I'm like, you don't need to work out today, Melissa. It's okay to miss a day, Melissa. Like just approaching things in a more loving and careful way. Um, But the link between autism and all of this stuff is just like endlessly fascinating to me. And um, I'm so happy that I that I discovered you and your wealth of knowledge. And I'm so happy you came on the podcast today. Yeah, and, honestly, uh, yeah, such a great chat. And I'm so excited to have you on my podcast too. I know, I'm super excited for that as well. Yeah, we have to, yeah, we'll have to do some more collaborations in the future for sure. Many more, yeah. yes. <laughs> so yeah, let's wrap it up. I've been chatting and we've been chatting for about an hour now I feel like that's a good that's always a good cutoff point for yeah for us neurodivergent people it's like okay that was enough words <laughs> yeah exactly I'm like, go rest my voice box now um anything else you want to say or plug before we wrap up um well I do yeah I mean I'm sure people can find it on my website but I do have a free training that's called three steps to recovery from an eating disorder as an autistic person um Uh so if people like podcasts um it's like a 45 minute training that guides them through the three steps so um that could be really helpful if they are if anyone listening you know is autistic and wants more guidance on you know 
having a healthy relationship with food, um, I definitely recommend listening to that training. Um, and yeah, I, I mentioned my books and everything. So I think that's enough, um, enough plugs too. <laughs> <laughs> and you got so much good stuff going on. Yeah, that's a really good resource. And I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in that. So thank you so much for coming on. And uh yeah, we said at the beginning, but when we were talking before this, you were like, I don't ever know how to wrap up. And I'm like, yeah, me too. That's the whole theme of my podcast is me awkwardly ending every episode right. yeah. with like, ah, okay, uh, is it over? Yeah. All right. We'll say goodbye now. Okay. Bye audience. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll just end it there. Bye audience. Bye. <laughs>